Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 419 for Sunday, October 7th, 2012. Wow! Greetings, folks, and welcome. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the podcast where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found, we provide answers, we share our tips of our own, we act as the funnel for all the cool stuff found, and together, we all like to learn a little something new about the Mac, Apple, and really just anything we can, as long as we're learning something each and every time we get together here on a beautiful fall Sunday morning, my favorite time of the year to be in New England. In Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Do you like the uh, the alternate theme song this morning, John? It was sent in by a listener, and I, I don't have that listener's name. It was actually sent in quite a yes. while ago. Ex- excellent voice talent. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's no, good stuff. We love the uh, the alternate stuff every now and then, and that's a good thing, especially when we're doing this uh, slightly off schedule. So, uh, But we have, a, we have an action-packed show for our listeners today, John, uh, you know, I, I was off last week, um, but we were off last week and because of my schedule. And so there's a lot of stuff that came in. So I pulled through it and you pulled through it and we found lots of when we're going to mix tips and questions, but we're going to try and keep things pretty rapid fire. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see how we do. Uh and with that, I, th- I guess I, I guess we should just start. And if we've got other stuff to go through, we can we can go through that uh, go through that later. Um, Tom writes, I know there are a lot of veteran geeks out there who fear change, and this is particularly true of the iOSification of the Mac. So here's a very simple tip that may move one or people one or two people off the starting line. Many geeks prefer to use Spotlight to launch applications. You hit the keyboard shortcut to start to type in the name and the application pops up as the first in the list. The problem is, of course, if you're looking for a document, it will be much further down the list after the applications. However, one of the features introduced in Lion and, of course, in Mountain Lion is the Launchpad, which brings up an iOS like screen with an applicate with application icons in Mountain Lion. They added a search feature for it, set a keyboard shortcut for Launchpad, start typing and hit enter when your program pops up. Now you can remove applications from the spotlight search settings, which is in system preferences spotlight. And when you use spotlight, your documents will float to the top. So use Launchpad to launch apps spotlight to find documents. And you've just made both a little more efficient. Awesome tip, Tom. Thank you for sending it in. Uh, indeed, I went in on my main Mac and I'm still trying to kind of get used to this. So I haven't taken applications out of spotlight, but I like the idea. And I, I went into system preferences, keyboard, keyboard shortcuts, launch pad and dock. And uh, there is a show launch pad keyboard shortcut. And I added control space to that. And uh, and it works perfectly. I just hit control space. I start typing. And just like you said, it's awesome. So tip number one. All right, maybe you can help me out here because I'm I'm on this screen on Mountain on my, Lion. No, no, on Lion because that's okay. what's on my mini because you told me that's what I should do. Wait, but the the, the search <sighs> feature is only in Mountain Lion. Uh, I understand that, okay. but right. I'm having a problem. Go, so I went to the same place you said, which is keyboard shortcuts. Yes, and I click on Launchpad and Dock. And now there are two things here: two items with checkboxes. Turn Dock hiding on and off, 
And the thing is, if I double click on the keyboard shortcut for turn dock hiding on off, it turns uh, it highlights the text in the color that I chose, indicating, yes, you can type something else here. However, if I try to click on the shortcut for show Launchpad, yeah. I see it here. It's checked. But if I try to click in the field that says none, which yeah. I think is the default, yeah. it won't let me change it. And I don't know. I don't understand why it won't let me change it. Uh, uncheck I did it, it on my other machine. Uncheck yeah, it uncheck. and then recheck it and see, because when I check it, that field lights up as active and that's when I can edit it. And yeah, no, not, no, other it's not time. lighting up for me. This worked on my mountain line machine though. I was trying this because I thought it was neat. Now I still, and yeah, the, the old way they did it was terrible because it was, you know, screens full of icons, but the search feature absolutely makes it a, a decent alternative. So I yeah. did the same thing you did. I think I assigned control option, Apple space bar. Because oh, okay. when I tried to apply the one I think you chose, it actually warned me, oh, you got another one defined oh. with this already. So sure. you can't do that. Sure. Okay. All right. I'll have to scratch my head on this. Maybe yeah, I just did it smile. here. I've, I've been turning it on and off. I had not done this on the uh, on the iMac in the studio, and it's it's actually working fine for me. So that's that's interesting. You might you, it might be one of those things where you got to kill off your P list. But that would that, you know, yeah. then you because I just I, I just double checked on my macbook pro and absolutely when i click on that field it, it highlights it saying i can change it yeah oh, that's weird okay huh all Man, right maybe i shouldn't have upgraded this to lion maybe you were right oh dude lion sucks you gotta just, <laughs> just but, but there's an easy solution for you and for everybody else that's having wacky problems with lion just update to mountain lion and yes. and you're done mm -hmm. all right the good oh. tip yeah okay oh the next one me yeah that's you so, so you, what you're assuming is that I have it in front of me and I'm ready to read it. And and if you don't, I've got and it in front I do. Of me. No, I do. <laughs> so this is from Scott, and I'll condense this a bit, but he makes a point. Yeah. Gents, with all due respect to the wonderful show notes you publish for every podcast, there's one glaring flaw in them. You need to set up the links so that they contain the proper HTML tags so that clicking on a link opens it in a new tab or window. And I think we can stop right there. All right. Okay, the other is, is the rest is just kind of opinion on this. And, sure. Uh, I, I, would say I, our, I, I would say our reply or your reply, and, and I think I would agree with it, is that you have the ability to make this happen uh, on a custom basis. That's right. I, I, have a, I have a personal preference that links on web pages not create new windows automatically. I, you know, I, I find that to be um, uh, presumptive to the user. You know, if I want yes. to create a new link, there is a quick and easy way to do that. And the quick and easy way, John, is. In Safari. Well, I'm going to tell uh, I was going to add this. So, so what you said was correct, but I'm going to add to this. I haven't so, said it yet, though. So you got to tell them. Well, the way to do it, uh, and I think that this is the default in Safari, is that if you. And what are we going to call it today? It it's could be the Clover, the Apple, or the Command. It, well, it, still, I'm, I'm, I, it, the, the keyboard I have in front of me doesn't have that word on here. So, all right. So I got to. <laughs> yes, the Command key. If you Command click on a link or whatever you assign to your one of your mouse buttons, um, that will open something in a new tab. That's right. So that so the the easy solution and and I would agree with you, Dave, is that to me it's not expected behavior for the browser for for clicking on a link to open a new window, which I think. I used to design web pages that do that. And I think you just put underscore blank in the HTML and that okay. tells the browser, yes, make a new window for this. Yeah. Target underscore blank target equal target underscore. underscore. Yeah. But, right. And there are good, there are times to do that. But uh, to me, it, 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 it can be done. It can be overdone. So I, I err on the side of underdoing. 
Right. Now, what I want to add here is that this may not work depending on how your computer is set up. In that, if you go to Safari, uh, Preferences, and Tabs, this lists what will happen when you click certain things. And by default, what is checked is Command Click opens a link in a new tab. Oh, wow. I, see, I translated that in my head. Isn't that great? And then below, it shows what all the combos of command and other keys will do. And it lists four of them. I won't read them all to you. But the cool thing, but, but the first one it does list is command click opens a link in a new tab. Now, if you unclick this checkbox, then the behavior changes to a new window. A new window, yes. And actually, you can see this live. So if you uncheck that, everything stays the same. But instead of new tab and new window, which two of the choices do new window to new new tab. For whatever reason, you may prefer to have certain key clicks do certain things. So that's where you, that's where you can see what happens and also change it if you choose to. So not very quick, but comprehensive. You, you now know everything you need to know about <laughs> opening new windows and tabs in Safari. Awesome. Yeah, that's actually that's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. And I like I do like doing it in tabs that that makes it that does make it better. And honestly, maybe maybe, you know, my preference is rooted in when things opened in new windows by default, uh, as opposed to just tabs behind the current window. But uh, but I also don't like to to freak users out and, you know, have new tabs opening up much to their surprise. But I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe that's just me. It is just me. Mm -hmm. All right. Elliot writes uh, in a in a, a very. uh uh, in, along the same lines, he says, I don't think I've heard this one on the show before, but if you hold down the option key, just the option key while clicking a link in Safari, it downloads an HTML file of the page that the link is for where this is. Thanks, Elliot, th where this is really handy. It's it's rare that most of us would want to download an HTML file of the page, but it's possible. But this behavior with the option click actually does more it downloads whatever the link would bring you to so let's say you're in safari and uh you click on an audio file and it starts playing you know it goes full browser window and it you get the little shuttle controls in the middle from from uh, the os and it starts playing the audio file well that is great but let's say you want to save that audio file to play later it, that's a it, that can be a really tricky thing unless you know this trick. So you back up to the page where you originally clicked from and you option click it. It will now download the audio file to your downloads folder as opposed to playing it in your browser window. And that's true of video files and, and other things, too. So uh, images, you know, what, whatever it is you're clicking through, too. So that's uh, that's, you know, another tip for you. John, what do you got? Well, I got. Two more Safari tips here. Oh, all right. Yeah. Stay well, just because fun. it annoys me what they changed. So I want to help people get functionality that was there. I'm sure. almost positive in the past you could go to the view menu and view source. Mm. Oh, to me, yeah. this is relevant because view source is, well, basically when you download the .html, that's what you're doing is downloading the source for the page. But you may want to see it. And I'm almost positive in, in Safari 5 they had in the view menu. They did. Now what you have to do, it's still available, but it is now hidden. So if you go to the develop menu, now that's not always enabled. If you want to enable the develop menu, you go to preferences, general, advanced, no, advanced. Okay. Yeah, I was going to click through all of them. Thanks. You show develop menu in menu bar. And then in the develop menu, among all the other things, you will see show page source. 
So. Yeah, and it's in a whole new. It's now in the web inspector, the page sources. So instead of opening in a separate window, uh, by default, it opens at the bottom of the uh, of of the page that you're on, and it can honestly be kind of a pain in the neck. Uh, if you want it in a separate window, there is a little button, and it's um, it's hard to describe, but it is the second button from the left. Uh, um, there's a bar that separates. You, you got to look at this, but there's a bar that separates the page from, in this case, the page source at the bottom. The very leftmost thing on that bar is an X, which will close out the page source. The thing next to that, uh, so just to the right of it, one in on the left, uh, it says detach into separate window. Then you click that and now it opens in a separate window. But, uh, but you know, the source will be scrunched in the middle of this three pane view, but, but you can, uh, you can use it. So it, yeah. And, and check this out. KiwiGram in the chat room pointed something out that I didn't know. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, right, right click. If you right click on a page in Safari, you will also get a show page source mm. option, which brings you to the same place. Now, I don't know if you have to have develop enabled in order to enable that or not. No, I don't think you do. I, I okay. think, uh, but I will test that right now. Uh, yes, you do. Excellent catch, Mr. Braun. Yes, without develop... Uh, listed there, the options are less plentiful on the right-click menu. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah, so they, they busted a lot of stuff in Safari. The, the last thing I'm looking for, maybe someone knows this, uh, but the activity window, they took that away, and that bothers me because uh, the one thing I like using it for was if you're on a page and it's downloading a Flash video, you could go to the activity window and uh, I think option click or control click or something on it, and it would download the Flash video stream in a FLV file. Yeah, they didn't take that away. That Everything got baked into they, the web inspector. That's stupid. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think Adam or so, someone mentioned that to me. And yeah, I just got to find the right place, but it's a lot more annoying now to do it. I like the activity window. I, I wish they would bring it back. Yeah, um, yeah it's interesting because I'm trying to find it and i can't find it i know it's here i've done it before uh let's see i think it's show page resources in the develop menu no oh, okay i think yeah i think that's it and now i'm gonna mention a cool stuff found all right enough of safari yes go though we all use it a lot um I found this. I it, I can't remember who. Uh, I'll I'll go through my tweet stream, but but someone tweeted this, and I replied to them saying, "Oh my gosh, I never knew this existed." So, oddly enough, it only exists on one of my machines. So, on my Mac Mini, if you go to Energy Saver, and from what I understand, this has been around since Lion. So, sorry about those people that say I pick you know Stone Age things to talk about. <laughs> I don't think Lion is Stone Age, but it's a it's weird. It's also I think it's relevant. Lion. It's good, but I think yeah. it's relevant because this feature. I only see on one of my machines and not the other. And that's if you go to Energy Saver on the Mac Mini running Lion and beyond, there is a checkbox restart automatically if computer freezes. I never knew that was there. Yeah. So, um, so that's but the MacBook Pro does not show that, which to me is weird. Is like this based on some special hardware or something in the processor? Did you bought your Mac Mini as a server? machine because you bought it with no. the two hard drives not the dvd drive no no i have the dvd drive you do okay no, well, I bought then the, it's the same regular guts. consumer version though, though i've seen it suggested that having running os 10 server yeah. will enable this so it's the oh are you running os 10 I, server on your mac mini no because no. oh interesting because that is a server setting um i, I remember that's oh. actually 
I don't even think that's new. Is, was it new to Lion? I thought it was there in Snow Leopard server. Uh, the support article I found at Apple indicated it was a Lion feature. Okay. I th- man, oh, I thought I had that I'm... on my G5, G4 server, which obviously wouldn't have run Lion, but, but I could be mistaken. But I have seen that before. There is, though, that box on most machines. I don't know if it's on your MacBook Pro, the start up automatically after a power failure. Okay. Right. Now, Pat that, made a point. No, but this is different, Pat. It is Start different. up automatically after a power failure is different. So the wording's Start. not different. There's two distinct settings. So you, uh, I have both available. Just remember, I, I'm going to I'm gonna remind you, and, and first I'm going to say hi to everybody in the chat room. Uh, it's a great place. Come and join us during the show. Uh, com slash stream. You can hear us record, and you can see us in the chat room and, and interact. But, John, I'll remind you that uh, 99.9% of the people hearing this didn't know what Pat just said. So Pat was uh, in the chat room talking about the checkbox that I was talking about, which is startup automatically after a power failure. That, that is a different checkbox um, that is not a server related thing and, uh, and is available on most Macs. I don't, do they have it on laptops? Is it on your MacBook pro John? No. Okay. I didn't think so. I think it's on. So, you know, I mean, the other thing is, I mean, if it's, if it's a server feature that it's probably, you know, I may have fiddled at one point on the, on the mini here. And enable the setting somehow. I don't know. There's probably a way to do it from the command line to enable that setting. I don't know. But it's nice that it's there. So if you have a machine that freezes a lot. (laughs) Yeah, one thing I will point out about this. I had a power failure the other day here um, in the office. It was uh, was actually about three towns worth of power were knocked out by some animal crawled into somewhere at the local power station. Uh, But uh, but it was fine. Squirrel. Yeah, maybe it seems like odd if a squirrel could knock out power for three towns, but it is New Hampshire. So, you know, our power grid is super squirrel. Yeah, super squirrel. But anyway, uh, it allowed me to test some things. Now, I have uh, uninterruptible power supplies, otherwise known as UPSs, uh, plugged into pretty much all of my desktop Macs, including the iMac here in the studio, in the office, etc. And uh, and so the nice part is when the power goes out, if it's for a short period of time, nothing really happens. I notice that the lights go out in the office, but uh, but the computers run off of battery power. Now, the UPSs that I have now um, have a USB cable uh, that allows me to plug the computer into the UPS and the computer then knows that it's on UPS power. It can actually get data from the UPS about how much time is left or how much battery power is left. And then when you do that, you get another tab in Energy Saver. Um, called UPS. And in that uh, you can change the sleep and display sleep settings and all of that, but you also get some shutdown options and you can have the computer shut down automatically when it's on the UPS so that the computer has the option to shut down properly before the UPS battery runs out. So I have that set on my computer. I have it shut down when there's, you know, four minutes left on the UPS. But I also have the checkbox we were talking about before, John, the startup automatically after a power failure box checked. But here's the thing. If it shuts down properly because of a UPS event, it will not start up automatically when the power comes back. And uh, and of course, that's that's a you know left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing kind of thing. The startup automatically after a power failure thing is if the power just is completely yanked right out Uh, from underneath the computer, you know, out of the blue, no warning whatsoever, it will start up again. But if it shuts down properly, 
either because you manually shut it down properly or because it shut itself down properly based on this UPS condition. It does not know to start itself up automatically after a power failure. So that that clearly misleading. Uh, it's from a programming standpoint, understandable why it's this way. But it, to me, it seems like a bug. Um, I did file a bug with Apple about it, but uh, but it's a it's a good warning. The one thing that I do to make sure that if I'm away, um, I'm not totally locked out forever is I go into, again, still an energy saver, going to schedule and I have my computer wake up once a day um, or start or wake up once a, once a day. And at least that way, the computer is you know not off for a week if uh, if I need to access it while I'm traveling or or what have you. So. Fun stuff. You know, that's how it goes. All right. Uh, let's see. And, and uh, it, actually, along those lines, we have a, a tip from Anna who says, uh, here's an easy tip that may help people having troubles with on and off uh, working with iTunes shared libraries. My iTunes shared library would stop working after about 60 minutes. And now I understand why. In system preferences, security and privacy, I had... Uh, Log out after 60 minutes of inactivity checked. So that's, again, uh, system preferences, security and privacy. And then there is a uh, advanced and then, button. Yes. And right. And uh, and the, at the, the top checkbox allows you to set a time after which you are automatically logged out. Logging you out doesn't just return you to the login screen. It logs you out which means any apps that you were running in your user account in the user space are quit. And if you're sharing your iTunes library, you're not sharing it when iTunes is quit and you're logged out. So, uh, so good little heads up there. That is not an energy saver. That is considered a security setting, not an energy saver setting, which makes sense. So just and there's another one there that I that. really like Dave, which is? It can lead to shenanigans. Okay. Or prevention of shenanigans. So, the last choice in this list is disable remote control infrared receiver. Now, you may ask, why would you want to disable the remote control infrared receiver? Well, first off, you may not know that you have one of these, but I have not one but two of them, Dave. So on the MacBook Pro, it's pretty obvious. It's, the, uh, it, it's, a, it's a small uh, circle to the left of the uh, uh, latch button. Now, does the current MacBook Pro have a, an IR receiver? I don't, I think don't it, know. I don't think it does. The, but what also has one, but what also has one is the Mac Mini. Right. Because I remember this because actually when I've been in it, I've had uh, Take Apart Guides uh, warn me, oh, by the way, be careful that you don't, you know, touch this or that, or you're going to mess up the IR receiver. And actually, uh, as far as I know, it is at the far right of the DVD uh, tray. You'll see a tiny little for a receiver. The, well, the reason I, why I mentioned this is that you may either may want to pair with the infrared receiver that comes with your machine. If you did get one, I don't know if they still bundle it with machines that are capable, but the reason is because normally the machine comes with the ability to listen to any IR receiver. And if somebody wants to uh, be a wise guy, if they have an IR receiver, and I actually did this in the workplace to teach people about how to secure their machines, um, you can sleep their machine, <laughs> Right. So it's fun to just, you know, make people <laughs> wonder what the heck is going on when their machine sleeps without them touching it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So at the very least, pair your remote. So your, your IR remote is the only one that can control your particular Mac. 
Yeah, that's smart. If, if if especially if it's a Mac that you're taking out and doing presentations with, or something where you're in you know big rooms of people because you don't want people messing with your uh, with with your machine in the middle of a presentation. You could even move the slides back and forth. Uh, you know, I saw something like that happen at at MacWorld Expo, John. It was it was, but it was it was awesome. It, Kyle Weens from uh, Kyle and Luke actually from iFixit.com were doing a presentation on hacking your your Mac, the hardware wise. And for whatever reason, and it made sense in the presentation, they were showing off um, the uh, AR drone, the Parrot AR drone, which is the the helicopter kind of thing that you control with your with your iPhone. And they were saying, oh, it's great because it's got this totally open API. And yeah, they have an app for it, but you can, you know, whatever you want to do, you can program stuff and and it'll do it. And, and it's great. And you can fly this thing around. They flew it around a little bit and then they landed it. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, he's off talking about something completely different. And uh, and the AR drone takes off uh, on the stage and starts floating over the crowd. And, he, you know, it caught his eye and he looked and he just started laughing. He's like, see, this is what I'm talking about. This is awesome. He said, all right, clearly somebody in the audience uh, has this app on their iPhone. They connected to the same wireless network that I was connected to and that the air drone is connected to. And now they're flying it. And he said, so that's great. He said, obviously, you know what you're doing because you're already flying it successfully. He said, just be careful. Don't hit anybody in the crowd and uh, please land it back on the stage where you found it. You know, and and then he went on with his uh, with his thing. But it was, you know, it was it was perfect. So. We have a tip from Andy. Andy says, I've been incredibly frustrated that all of a sudden for the last month or so, nothing appeared under the devices heading in the sidebar of finder windows. I was going into disk utility to eject external drives and such. What a pain. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Then my mouse happened to land on the word devices in the sidebar, which of course had nothing under it. And I noticed the word show appeared in small print to the right-hand side of the word devices. I clicked on the word show and like magic, all my listings are back. I don't know how I hid them, maybe clicking on the word hide without realizing it somehow. And that's right. You can do this in, uh, in, in the finder. And sure enough, that's what will, uh, that's what will happen. Uh, this also happens in mail. And Mountain Lion, uh, if you're using the new view, and I think I guess Lion would would do this, too. There is show and hide for your IMAP mailboxes. And uh, and I occasionally get that that question. Actually, I don't get it anymore because I showed my wife what to do. But but uh, when it first happened, when she first got Lion or Mountain Lion, she, um, you know, she she said, I can't see any of my mailboxes. And I said, well, you've got to click on show. And but it's not obvious because it's it's not there unless you float right over where you're supposed to almost where you're supposed to click. So, uh, but that's handy and, uh, and it allows you, if you don't need to see those kinds of things, it's nice to hide them and tidy them up. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. You know what I don't like is that it's inconsistent. So in mail, even if you say hide, it'll show the number of new items. Right. Right. In the finder, if it's hidden, I would prefer that you got some sort of visual cue that hide mode is on either dim it a little bit or something. Well, that's what I, I always I don't like know. in the, in, in directory listings in the finder, I get the little, uh, triangle there that, you know, sh- that shows whether something is collapsed or expanded. Right. And it's twisted to the right or down depending on, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know why we don't get that. Uh, there. I think they got to fix that. I, 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 I think there was a, a poor 
implementation for UI choice. I, I agree. Yeah. If, if, and Andy's a smart guy, my wife's a smart woman. If people like that are getting confused by it. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly it's not intuitive. They're too smart. They're too, they're too, they outsmarted themselves is what they did. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go to uh, sort of a re- revisiting somewhere we've been before. Gareth writes, I'm a longtime devotee of the New York Times daily Sudoku puzzles. This is going somewhere. Bear with me. Uh, and was dismayed to find after updating to Mountain Lion that the usual way of entering numbers in the grid control key control key plus the relevant numeral was not working for numbers one through four. At first, I thought my keyboard was dying and then I thought it was a Java runtime issue. Finally, I figured out that Mountain Lion maps command one to a mission control space. Number one. Uh, but endless online searching wasn't able to tell me what command two, three and four were mapped to is mission control secretly hiding shortcuts for spaces two through four, or does the problem lie elsewhere? And yes, it is secretly hiding those um, two through four. Gareth also found something very interesting after some experimentation. That's also counterintuitive, but a solution nonetheless with no extra spaces open in mission control. Only the control one checkbox appears in the keyboard shortcuts tab of system preferences. But if you open as many as 16 spaces by physically clicking the plus button in mission mission control, then the relevant checkboxes appear in keyboard shortcuts and they can be unchecked or changed. Uh, and, and Gareth did this and now is able to play uh, Sudoku without any trouble. So very interesting stuff hidden there in keyboard shortcuts. We like it. We like it. We like it. I don't like things that are hidden, though. I know you don't, John. Well, there's a theme here. They're, they're hiding stuff from us, and they shouldn't. Well, okay. I agree with you. But the other thing that you and I love to rant about being geeks is Apple didn't give us the feature to do this, and we had to go to the terminal to do it, or we had to install third-party software, or we can't do it at all. Right? So you know, do, what do we want hidden and what do we want in front of us, knowing that we don't want every feature available to us all the time. We want, you know, intent based uh, UIs. And uh, and yes, I'll take credit for that term, but but I like the term intent based UI. No, no, no. It's something we talked about a lot in designing the new TMO site. It's all very intent based. We're not going to show you every option because we think that's stupid. We're going to show you what we think you're looking for at the time you're looking for it. Now, to do that, though, you have to make some assumptions. And even if you get it right for 99 percent of the people, you're still wrong for at least some of the people. So, you know, so, you know, there you go. So I have a little bit of uh, empathy here for what Apple's going through. But at the same time, yeah, it's, you know, there needs to be something. I don't know. Maybe a little, maybe a little tooltip when you float over the um, the control one thing, saying, "Hey, if you get more spaces, that more will appear here." And that would that yeah. would be intent based, hey. right? Yeah. Right. So maybe they, maybe they should listen. They should implement that. They get that one for free, by the way. That's on me on the house. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> if you do, I'm having you're caffeine making, this morning, John. You're making stuff. Of course I'm making stuff up. That's 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 the idea right. behind coming up with good ideas is you have to make stuff up. Um right. our friends at Smile, who are our oh. our first sponsor for the show, um and perhaps were the first sponsor ever on Mac Geek Cab. Um they've certainly been here a long time and they were one of our first. Uh 
but I don't know if they were our very first. I think they were actually. Um, but in any event, talking about making up cool stuff, our friends at Smile made some cool stuff. They made PDF pen for iPhone. And it came out this week and it's five bucks in the App Store right now, $4.99. And that will be the case probably through October. Um, certainly for a couple of weeks, again, probably through October. And uh, this is the same PDF pen that you know and love, totally built for the iPhone. I've been using it uh, all week. It's uh, for what I've been doing. It's been and for everything I've tried with it. It's been fast. It's been smooth. Um, it, it does what I want. It, you know, it, it works on my iPhone five and goes full screen on the iPhone five, which I love. And now I've gotten totally addicted to. And yes, I know our Mac geek app isn't there yet, but, the version I have is, and you'll get that soon. Uh, but anyway, back, back to smile here. You can of course read PDFs with it, but you can edit them. Um, it's optimized for the retina display as well. You can do the things that you're used to doing. You can add text, you can add images and yes, you can add signatures right there on your iPhone. It supports iCloud. So you can store stuff between uh, devices and, and you can also use Dropbox if you don't want to use iCloud or you want a little more control or accessibility to those documents uh, other than from within PDF pen. You can correct text uh, right there in the PDF. Same kind of thing you're used to on your other devices on your Mac and your uh, your iPad. You can fill out forms. You can do all the stuff. You can reorganize PDFs. And uh, and I think uh, I'm looking here, in addition to Dropbox and iCloud, it'll work with Evernote and Google Docs as well. So really, really cool stuff. Um, works so well. It's, I mean, it's such a, it, I was so impressed with this. Um, you know, it, I, I was going to say, it doesn't feel like a version 1.0 product. And it's not because they've had the, you know, they, they kind of started, um, in iOS with the iPad. So what they've got on the iPhone here is a, is a very, very refined uh, piece of work. So check it out. It's only five bucks. Go get it now before they raise the price on you. Um, of course you can learn about it at, at uh, smilesoftware.com, but, uh, but you can also just find it right there in the app store directly on your iPhone. So that's smile. And we'd like to thank them for, of course, being our sponsor. And we'd like to thank you for checking out their stuff. If you haven't already. All right. Um, let's see moving. Uh, we had, uh, we had a couple of comments. One came in on Facebook and the other, uh, the other didn't, but that's okay. Robert says I had a smart list, a smart playlist, excuse me, in iTunes that played all of my podcasts continuously. I deleted it by mistake when I recreated it. Now it only plays back one track at a time and stops. How can I fix this? So it plays tracks back to back very interesting solution here so what he has done is he has gone into itunes and this gets into kevin's question too which we're sort of answering simultaneously here um it went into itunes and if you if you want to play podcasts back in itunes from different podcasters so let's say you know you listen to us and maccast and and uh, evil genius chronicles you know and and coverville right and so you listen to all of these and you just you want to when one finit when the latest episode of one finishes, you want to move to the next iTunes won't do that um, in in the standard podcast interface. But you can do this with a smart playlist, as Robert has done. And the, the playlist that you would create is um, 
you go in, you go to the file menu, you say new smart playlist, and you say match all of the following rules. The first rule, say media kind is podcast. Anything that's downloaded by iTunes as a podcast will get that media kind. Even if the podcast producer hasn't assigned it, um, iTunes will assign it. So that there, there you go. And then you want to say plays is less than zero. Right. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Plays is less than one or plays is equal to zero. And then that way you're getting unplayed episodes of podcasts. And that's what Robert did. And it worked because it listed them all, but it would not play them uh, in succession. It would only play one and stop. There are three checkboxes at the bottom and live updating is the last one. And you want that checked, but you do not want to check selected by random. Uh, That was what Robert said he had selected and it didn't work for him. So uh, turn off the option for random and uh, and it should hopefully work. And he asked he asked that question on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mac which is uh, a fine way to interact with us. Another great way to interact with us is the Mac Geek crew forums over there on, on TMO site. And we'll put a link to those, but, uh, but we, yeah, we'd love to, uh, I'd love to see you in either of those places. It's good, good, good stuff. Anything to add to this, uh, this podcast playlist thing, John? Hello. Did I lose you? Uh-oh. Folks, I think I've lost Mr. Braun. I'm going to pause and we're going to find him and I'm, then I'm going to be right back. All right. I think that was uh, perhaps the longest outage we've ever had. Of course, you didn't know that until I told you now. John uh, John and I are back. I think it was almost 10 minutes. John, uh, you, your machine locked up. Tell, uh, tell us all what happened. Well, what I saw... So all of a sudden I heard nothing, which during a recording is bad. That's yeah. <laughs> we noticed but, that too on this end. But so. but my system was responsive partially. So I tell you, here's how, how I tried to recover. So basically what I did is I I was looking at the various processes to see which ones may be acting up. Now Skype is probably since my audio stopped, that's probably the first <laughs> suspect. And it was when I right clicked on it in my dock. It said application not responding and also colloquy. So I don't know who caused it, but so all of a sudden I had multiple processes. Not all of them, though. Uh, for example, uh, uh, Piezo was still running. It was happily. It, it, it didn't think there was a problem. It was still recording. It was moving. So it's not like all my apps wedged. Only some of them wedged. I'll say wedged that they were non-responsive. So what I tried to do to recover gracefully, because I hate holding down the power button to restarting because that's just throwing in the towel. Um, so I tried to quit those apps. So I tried, so I right clicked and I said, uh, I think force quit on both those apps in hopes that I could start them up again. Well, when I tried to start up Skype, Skype said, um, there's already a copy of me running. Well, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> and I'm I- like, no. Th- and I'm like, no, there's not. Well, I double checked because even though I know it wasn't running because it wasn't in my list of running apps, I'm like, well, let me go to the activity monitor. So I went to iStat menus, activity monitor, and I looked for a process in the list called Skype. I sorted by name and I didn't see anything called Skype that I could then quit or, or Damon or something, or I don't know the name of what Skype. I, I know the name. Good. Okay. Yeah. You probably won't see this in activity monitor though. I think this oh. stuff is filtered out, but um, if you had gone into the terminal and, and done a process listing, which would be PS 
Um, right. Okay. You would see, you would likely have seen Skype listed in parentheses, which means because when you log out, uh, the system tells all the processes that were running under your user, like we talked about before, uh, to quit, right? Just like iTunes did. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah. So I did a logout. I didn't do a, right. do a restart. I figured, well, logout should be enough, as you're leading to, to, to make somebody know, all right, well, John's gone, so why don't you stop all the processes that belong to him? Or at least right. I thought that's what should happen. Right. And just like we talked about with Anna earlier in the show, you know, she had the auto logout and it quit iTunes, right? And that the same thing would have happened when you logged out. It tried to quit everything. But- you had processes which had gone unresponsive. And so a process that has gone unresponsive that the OS has been that the OS has told to quit that are still running are listed in parentheses. And I always I think the right term for them, but but certainly what I call them is zombie processes. Um, and they and you can't quit those. I mean, you can try to kill them every six ways from Sunday and it doesn't matter what day it is. Uh, you're not going to be able to quit them until you restart that machine. And that's just how that goes. So, so yeah, you, you, so I'm, I'm certain that you had a zombie process of Skype running because Skype was one of the things that went unresponsive. So, I, and, and Kiwi Graham in the chat room is, is correcting me saying that zombies, zombie processes lack owners, uh, which is, yeah, but, but so whatever it is, they're, they're hung. So, um, and and they, you know, they won't die with a kill dash kill from the command line. For those of you that know what that means, they just they they on the at least on OS 10, they just don't die. So. But anyway, unlike, unlike real zombies, where usually a shotgun to the head. That's right. That's right. Well, that's what that doesn't exist in the OS. We don't we don't have that zombie killer like that or whatever, well, no, or whatever it's, it's it called, is. It's I, called restart. I may be using the wrong term, but but the, no, restart is restart kills is the zombies. That's right. Yes, that's right. Restart is your shotgun. All right. So we were talking about iTunes. And then, of course, we talked about um, Smile, our, our sponsor. But uh, I, I want to get back to iTunes because Richard um, Richard had a good question that that led me to um, that led me to, to a good tip. And, and the tip is if you're backing up to iCloud from your iOS device, right, which you can set in iTunes, you can check the backup to iCloud button, or you can do it right on your device in settings. Uh, I believe in iOS six. Now it's just settings iCloud, right? But, uh, and you, and then you can go to storage and backups and you can tell it to back that up. And it's great. And I highly recommend you do that especially if you're not plugging into your Mac regularly, because you definitely want to have a backup. Uh, and that's a good thing. However, it is also handy to have a local backup of your stuff, especially if you're going to go through a manual restore process of your phone. Now, yes, you could go the man through the manual restore and then restore your backup from iCloud, but that takes longer than a local restore because it's coming in over the internet. Um, so my advice is if you know that you're going to do this, shoot a local backup in iTunes. Now, iTunes stops doing local backups as soon as you set to backup to iCloud, but you can force it to do one. And it's actually very easy uh, with your phone plugged in or your phone simply connected to iTunes over Wi-Fi. Go to your phone uh, or your iPad or your iPod touch uh, in the list uh, that you'll see kind of on the left there where you have your playlists and all that devices. Uh, Right click on your device and choose backup and that's it. It'll do a local backup. It'll store it to your local hard drive and uh, and the first one of each device or the first one, I should say, of each OS build on each device will take a long time because it does a full backup. 
And then after that, it's just doing incrementals. So, uh, so if you know, you've got some time, go ahead and shoot your backup now so that you've got one of your, of your device on iOS six local. And then, uh, that way it's pretty quick to do, uh, when you feel like you need to do it. So that's, uh, we, like I said, we we're going to do lots of tips. So there's a tip for you. And, uh, while we're on the iTunes subject, John, we have, uh, I think we have one or two more. We have one from Paul. Do you shoot local backups of your iPhone, John? Yet? Every now and then. Yes. Good. Yeah. So the same tip. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I'm happy with the fact that they make it either or. I like that they give you the option. Sure. It'd be nice if you could schedule that. I agree with it would be nice to say, make sure you back up locally at least once a week. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't need it every day locally, but I'd certainly like it, you know, more than manual. Right. Yeah. To, to go with our whole uh, theme of, uh, you know, multiple backups. Right. One is not enough. One is not especially enough. one that's in the cloud. And if you can't get to the cloud, then that's really bad. So and you're horked. That's right. I'm sure we'll see that in the next version. Uh, Apple has implemented our suggestions before. Believe that's it or true. not. Yeah, that's not, true. Not, not getting heady here, but every now and no. no, I think it's just a, a you know, amazing coincidence. Right. <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh Paul writes, I just updated to iOS 6 and the latest version of iTunes and noticed an interesting thing I never noticed before, but I think it's always been there. Uh, when my iPhone is highlighted and I am on the uh, in devices and I'm on the info tab. So the first tab that comes up when your device is, is highlighted. If you click on the software version, serial number and or iPhone or and or phone number lines of information in the iPhone section of this information panel. These items change to software version changes to build version. Serial number changes to identifier UDID and phone number changes to IMEI number uh, right up in there. This feature may, may well have been available before and I missed it. And it, and actually it was, uh, yes. but it, it, and, and what's interesting uh, to add to this I knew about the serial number UDID swap because I've done that before, but I never realized that the software version and, and phone number swapped. I, I guess I'd never clicked on those before. But if you do while you're in iTunes uh, and you have your phone selected and you're on that pane, if you do edit copy or just command C, uh, it will copy either the serial number or the UDID, whichever is showing to the clipboard, which can be really handy. Um, Sometimes if you're working with a developer and you need to give them your uh, UDID, which you would if you want to get beta software from them, uh, it, you know, it's much easier than having to write down that number, which I think is what, 32 characters or something ridiculous. So um, really, I've gone through the same thing and I think it's tied into the. Yeah, list of devices. So when you develop an app, you have yeah. to, uh, at least in the, during the development process, you normally have to uh, designate all the authorized devices to run that app. And you got to issue certificates and all that naughtiness, uh, that nastiness. And, you know, that's true now on the Mac, too, for apps that are sandboxed. Um, if, they're, if they're going to be run through the App Store, you've got to go through the same thing and you've got to get a provisioning profile on your Mac and, and all of that crazy stuff. So, But it's, you know, it's just the way it works. No, it was an, uh, a quick tangent. Go. So there, all, there is also this feature in About Your Mac. So if you are in the Finder or wherever you are, if you go to the Apple menu, say About This Mac, you will see it'll say Mac OS X, show you the nice uh, 
uh, at least currently, uh, kind of a Chrome uh, Apple there. And then it'll say version 10.7.5, at least on the machine that I'm looking at right now. Well, if you click on that once, it changes to build 11G56. The build being kind of a sub version. And uh, the, the, when I've seen it used mostly is uh, typically when they get the at the end of a development cycle for Mac OS X, they will uh, say, oh, and by the way, this is the gold master build. And then what happens is once it's really released, the, the question always comes up, wow, is the version released to the world the same as the gold master? And it almost always is. Sure. But that's yeah. how you tell because this build number is, is uh, again, another version. And then if you click on it yet again, you will get the serial number of your machine, which... Now, I don't know if it has the cut and paste feature. I don't know if it pastes it to the clip. I don't think it does, but it shows it to you. So it rotates through these three pieces of information. And, and it's kind of a you know secret hidden thing because I, I can't no, recall anybody ever telling me this is something you should do. But Yeah, no, and that's a, that serial number can be a, a necessary thing when you're calling support or going online for support with Apple. So, All right. Uh, another quick one about your iPhone and iPad. Uh, there is a great little discussion happening, uh, a great little article. There, there are tips articles, actually, that are occasionally posted to the Apple support communities. And someone wrote one called Everything You Wanted to Know About Charging Your iPhone or iPad. It was actually published last May, but very, very handy. And uh, Jeff shared this with us. And so I wanted to make sure that we shared it with you. It's uh, it, it, it what it's really handy for is is understanding what types of chargers are going to charge things at what speed. And uh, and we've talked about this before, so we'll, we'll kind of gloss over that for now. But uh, I just wanted to draw your attention to the uh to the, the the to the article but so we'll put that in the show notes and we'll put it in the chat room for those of you that are in the chat room too and uh and so john you had you had a question actually you're going to do the same thing because we wrote an article about the answer that you gave to the next one so give everybody a heads up on uh on this cool little thing you found and then we'll link to it so that everybody can go find it where is it here it is okay <laughs> So I got a uh, a tweet uh, from Chris saying, any idea on a terminal command to find the last time machine backup timestamp in Mountain Lion? Location seems to have changed. Now, I want to dig in a little bit here because the reason he asked this, so he's using something which I'm trying out and I have mixed feelings about it because I'm not sure if it actually works. Uh, it's called Time Machine, time machine Scheduler and it is a pref pane that is supposed to uh, let you change the scheduling uh, like some other products of the, the the default of Time Machine, which is once per hour, which is, in my opinion, too much on a wireless. Um, he was using this and didn't think that a backup had occurred. So how can you tell if a backup has occurred under Time Machine? Well, one, you could, of course, go to the Time Machine system preference, and it should list that in that pane. Sometimes you may have to mount the drive, I found, to see that info. I, I don't know if it's always available. So again, click on Time Machine. It'll, it'll show it will probably show the oldest backup. It'll also show it in the time machine menu at the top of the screen. Yes, absolutely. So that's two places. But then he asked the uh, question, well, how else can I tell if, if that doesn't work? Or maybe he didn't. Or he looked in those places and nothing was there. Uh, and and, and actually, also, you know, being able to find this from the terminal is handy if you want to run an Apple script or, or uh, you know, or otherwise access this information from from anything other than the UI. So, so right. that, that, it could be a handy thing. Yeah. Right. So the, the way to do it 
And it's pretty quick. Uh, I, I forgot where I found the info, uh, but, but it's been floating around out there. Um, but you basically go to the terminal and say defaults read slash private slash var slash db slash here's the important part dot time machine capital T capital M dot results and then a big value stored in that key or, or P list which eventually that's where it is really. Um, They're not going to remember under- this. They just point him to the link. It's easier. Yeah, we'll point him to the link. Yeah. There's a big article. Jim uh, took the stuff that John found and wrote it up, put it up on Friday. There's screenshots and, and there is the all important line that you don't have to remember. You can just copy and paste into your terminal. Um, and uh, as long as you copy and paste it correctly, it is safe. I have done it myself. And, yeah, uh, and it works. Well, it's just displaying a value stored in a file. Now, you, you want to be a bit careful because stuff that's in slash private slash var slash db, you probably want to assume is is something you should, don't don't go randomly deleting things there because this is stuff that was not meant for for mere mortals to to see. But if you type in this command, it'll tell it to you. Now it's funny because he got back to me and said, "Well, I can't find anything." I'm like, "Well." Uh, you know, he did it. He did a ls in that directory, and I'm like, "Well, make sure you do an ls." Uh, dash a or, or some variation because it, it does have a dot in front of it so it is a uh, not totally invisible but semi I'll call it semi invisible file <laughs> and yeah that, unless you tell the, the command in question list everything you, you won't see that file because it's meant to be hidden yeah. I guess but he didn't see anything and the funny thing is now that's why I'm scratching my head over this uh, uh, time machine scheduler uh, product here is that he didn't see that file until he manually invoked a time machine backup, I guess from uh, where we talked about before, the time machine menu has a uh, option saying backup now. Once he did backup now, so, so I don't know if, if, if it needed a kickstart or what, but it sounded like this program wasn't working, and the reason he determined that is because he didn't see this file. Yeah, if time machine runs successfully, then you should get something returned uh, by doing this terminal command. And once he ran it manually, then he did. So uh, so there's the information. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. It, it, uh, again, I'm, I, I actually installed it on one of my machines and I haven't seen it do what it should be doing. I set it to four hours, okay. which is what I did with Time Machine Editor. And I haven't seen it adhere to that. So I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I trust I- it. I, I think I may go back to Time Machine Editor. I turned off Time Machine Editor. I don't know if I should have removed it. I don't know if the two are fighting with each other now. Oh, interesting. Well, it Time Machine be. Editor, all Time Machine Editor does is it it sets a um of of uh, a launch, launch D. D. Yeah. It's, okay. It, well, that's yeah. what this claims to do as well. Okay. So yeah. So uh, again, maybe they're fighting with each other. Maybe I got to totally remove Time Machine Editor for this thing to to kick yeah. in. I don't know. So revealing. Much that is hidden. Yavo. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And this is one of those great opportunities where we were able to have the MGG answers article published before the show. Um, and that way we know we can link to it. And uh, it's, you know, it's all about show prep. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's go to Mike has some great. Uh, I, I'm, I'm determined to get through all these tips here. And Mike has a great one. He says, I, I was just listening to, Show 418 when you were talking to the dude uh, with the Macs in the Windows network. At my work, I run Macs, Windows, and Linux in a server 2008 environment. The routing system is old, and here comes the tip, doesn't support IPv6. DNS will register an IPv6 record, but the traffic has issues getting through the router. When I disable IPv6, everything runs fine. 
And it absolutely. And, you know, I was helping my aunt last week and I wish I had read Mike's email before uh, I had started helping her, but uh, she was having a problem with, with her network and getting her Mac to work on it. And it would not surprise me if IPv6 was an issue for her. So, uh, cause she had a really old Linksys router, but uh, it certainly would have been good to troubleshoot to use in the troubleshooting process. So system preferences, network, and then choose your network, either Ethernet or Wi-Fi, uh, the two most common. Click Advanced, and on the TCP IP screen, Configure IPv6 can be set to one of four options in Mountain Lion, the last of which being Off. If you know you're not using IPv6, or rather, if you don't know that you are using IPv6, at this point in time, it's safe to assume you are not. That may well change in a year from now, so we are uh, in October of 2012 right now. Uh, a year from now, this may be very, very bad advice. But uh, but right now, it, it if you don't know for a fact that you are using IPv6, chances are you are not. So uh, you can turn it off there. And it it I have seen this help uh, with some network troubleshooting. In fact, I I have it routinely turned off on on all of mine. So uh, we shall. And very see. quickly, yeah, go. Some people may be asking themselves, what is IPv6? Well, the current IP. TCP IP, one of the things it does is it lets you assign a numerical address to a machine. Now, the thing is, the number of those are limited. Currently, they are limited to a 32-bit value. I believe it's 32 bits, right? So, 4, 8-byte, eight, uh, eight or 32-byte. How many are we talking here? Uh, eight, 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 eight. Yeah, 32 bits. So, it's 32 bits is how big a, a current uh, a V4 address is. The problem is, that's not enough. <laughs> so they came up with a new scheme that basically allows a greater range of IP addresses, and that's called IPv6. Unfortunately, uh, as, as we've seen here, they may not coexist uh, uh, painlessly. So, yeah. yeah. Right now, my machines are set up for automatically, and they seem to be fine, and that, that, that I have no IPv6 traffic that I know of, so it, it doesn't screw up, but it could. You know, we should get John Martellaro on. Uh, of course, John writes for us and has for a long time here at the Mac Observer. And he has been really kind of leading the charge internally here at TMO on making sure we're up to date with IPv6 and all that stuff. He and I'll link to this. He posted was it earlier this year, I guess. Yeah. End of January, he posted a layman's guide to the IPv6 transition, which is an excellent read. But uh, but it would be even better to have him on the show to kind of walk us through all of that, especially now that we're, you know, yeah. well into 2012, which was supposed to in many ways be the year of IPv6. So so maybe it's time for a guest. Not not right now, because I don't know where he is at the moment, but we'll get him right. on in, you know, a couple of weeks. All right. Uh, Florian has uh, has a good tip for us. Florian says, in fact, he posted this on Twitter. He says, uh iOS 6 has panorama mode in the camera, which, of course, is correct. It does. And it's actually pretty cool. But uh, but his and, and you get to panorama mode by going into the camera, click on options and click panorama. And then uh, you start moving the phone uh, from left to right continuously, and it will let you start taking a panorama picture or panoramic picture. But. Uh, if you want to go right to left, you tap the edge of the screen to switch directions. And sure enough, it will let you do that. And then you, you tap it before you start taking the picture. Of course, you can't, uh, you can't change directions mid picture. 
uh, that I know of. But uh, but yeah, if you just tap the little uh, the little panoramic slider, it and you don't even have to tap the edge; you just tap the slider itself, and it will slide uh, back and forth and let you go different directions. So thanks, Florian. That's Florian of uh, Boinks Software. So I don't know why I mentioned that. It's just that's who he was. So I can't do that. Oh, you need a dual processor phone, a 4S Which the iPhone 4 is not. Right, right, right. Oh, well. Right. Uh, Bryce has, that's another iPhone tip. Bryce says, uh, I found that if you have something to download, a podcast or an app update or whatever, that is over the 50 megabyte limit of 3G or 4G or, or, or LTE, uh, what I do if I have my wife, if my wife and I are together is I turn on the personal hotspot feature on her phone and then I connect to her Wi-Fi network. And now my phone thinks it's on Wi-Fi so it can download the big thing. And if her phone needs it, I turn on the personal hotspot feature on my phone and let her download it. Uh, and indeed, this is true. And it's a great tip, but it's also a great warning if you have data limits, which if you're running personal hotspot, chances are you do have data limits. And even if you're not running personal hotspot, even if you're, if, if you're, well, I guess you, you couldn't, you have data limits either way. I mean, you, they either call it unlimited and, and throttle you, or they actually, you just have an agreement about your rate. But, uh, but the issue is when your phone is on Wi-Fi, it does not adhere, of course, to the cellular limits that you put in. So if you've got apps that say, don't use cellular data for this function or that function, they will use Wi-Fi data, even if that Wi-Fi data is coming from cellular data on another device it does not know it's not smart enough there's really no way for it to reliably figure that out for you so it's just if it's on wi-fi it's not on cellular and that's how it makes that that decision so be careful of that if you start downloading gigabytes and gigabytes of stuff you will pay for that on the other devices or it will count towards your other devices um, data usage and if you have a limit you have a problem speaking of which so thank you bryce but uh, John, I as of tomorrow, I think today is my last day as an AT&T unlimited data iPhone customer. After years of being grandfathered and, and being quite proud of that status, I realized it was stupid. And uh, I'm much better off going to one of their family share plans where I actually have a, uh, a data cap. Because with my unlimited plan, really what it was is I was paying 30 bucks a month per phone uh, for three gigs of data. After which they would throttle me down anyway, um, but wouldn't charge me anymore, but they would slow me down to a crawl. And uh, when I added up all my data plans, I could actually move to and looked at the data that we use on an average and even maximum basis. I'm moving to a six gig family share data plan, which I believe starts tomorrow because the eighth is our cycle here in the Hamilton household. And uh, and that. uh that will get me all the data I need. I can do personal hotspot now, uh, which my means my wife doesn't have to jailbreak her devices anymore uh, to do personal hotspot. She'll be able to do it right out of the box and it'll work just fine, hopefully. And uh, and we save about uh, 15, maybe even 20 bucks a month. So it's a good thing. Hey. Yeah. Bye bye. Unlimited. I mean, they, you know, they, they screwed us, right? I mean, they, they set us up to not want unlimited. They made it so that it didn't make any sense to have because it's the same price for three gigs or unlimited where you're capped at or you're throttled at three gigs. So stupid, stupid. stupid. All right. Anyway, moving on. Right. Uh, Let's see. Hang on. What do we need? Any of this? I think we have, uh, well, we have an audio comment from, from Michael to play. 
which uh, which hopefully this. Hey, John works. Dave, this is Michael in Boston. I just wanted to make sure I have the email address right. It is feedback at MackieGab.com. Isn't that feedback at MackieGab.com? Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. No, no, not feedback, feedback, but just for you, Michael, feedback at MackieGab.com works too. Don't you like that, John? I tested that. I, I saw it you. come in. Yeah. Did yeah. it work? If you're hung if you're hungry, then you should probably send your feedback to feedback. Ah, oh, this is gonna get confusing. <laughs> feedback at MackieGev.com. I believe now we've said it three times. So uh No so wait, you said uh, I thought you said feedback. <laughs> well, I did, but I also said the other one. So feedback. That's right. At MackieGev.com. Yeah, That's right. That, that is the preferred address. It is the preferred address. Uh Unless you're a premium listener and, and here, okay. So I owe everyone. Yeah, what's a, up with that? I owe everyone a follow up on this. Um, it's finished the back end of premium. Uh, it did take us longer than we expected uh, because it was really important to me and, and to Adam, I have to say uh, to make sure we got this right for you. And so we've been extensively testing. I know that we haven't hit every corner case and edge case and every problem that we're going to see, but we have built it so that we can respond very quickly. And, uh, and, and we have a really solid foundation that we believe in on this. And we finished it on Thursday with all our testing and all of that good stuff. And then we had a decision to make, do we roll it on Thursday? And normally the answer would be sure, except that 7am Friday morning, Adam was flying to Petaluma or driving or getting himself to Petaluma uh, for MCE this weekend. Uh, and he's not back until um, midday Tuesday. So we, I, I, I hated to not have it all ready for you to announce during this show. Uh, but I know that you want it right too. And so we, uh, we will launch it Wednesday. Like I said, it's, it's totally done. It re- it's as simple as a flip of a switch at this point, um, or as simple as flipping that type of a switch can be. But because um, it's all working on the, on the test environment that we have. But uh, but we didn't want to launch it and then have the guy that knows more about it than anyone not be uh, here at his desk able to help and and respond to any, you know, out of the gate production issues that we might have uh, that you might bring to our attention because this is really important to us to get it right. So it will go live this week because I and I I can say that confidently because it's finished. So I appreciate your patience. We appreciate your patience. Hopefully you appreciate the fact that we want to get this right. And uh, hopefully you appreciate what we've got. So we'll tell you about that next weekend. Um, and, uh, and those of you that are existing premium and, and, and even in limbo premium, people will get emails uh, this week once it's up. But, uh, but I do want to say one thing and then we'll get on to the other ways to contact us. John and I love what we do here. I, hopefully that comes through. I think it does. Um, and, uh, and it, it, it really, you know, we, we would, we would not be able to do this without all of you and, and you make it easy for us to come here and want to do our very best at each and every time the feedback that you give us, the interaction that we get, that's it, 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 that, that's what makes it so that we come here and work as hard as we possibly can. Now, listen, I know that you don't listen uh, or even support the show. 
speak just because you want to, you know, be nice to, to John and Dave. I, I realize that there's value that we provide to you. And, and obviously that's very important to us. Um, and that's why we come and do uh, things the way we do them and, and put all the work in that we do. And I just wanted to say, thanks. Uh, we really do appreciate um, your support and your feedback and all of that. It's uh, it is a good two way street. I, for us and, and certainly I hope for you. Um, so there you have it. What he said. Thanks, John. <laughs> there he is. Mr. John. Hey, F. I, I, I couldn't have topped what you said. So I, apparently I go, couldn't have topped it. Either. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So other ways to contact us. So those of you that are premium uh, members and, and those of you that will be premium members can use the premium at MacGeekab.com address that is prioritized in terms of how quickly we answer things. We do. We, we really do try to answer everything that that is a goal, but uh, the the premium stuff is always answered. The stuff that's sent into feedback uh, is usually answered. I, I honestly mm-hmm. can say that, that we, we try to get to everything, but uh, but we do certainly, you know, prioritize the premium stuff because you're the folks that are doing a little bit extra to help us uh, not only keep the lights on, but keep doing what we're doing and, and supporting us and doing what we're doing. And we appreciate that. So uh, so you do get priority, uh, but everybody's important and and all the questions are important. So 206-666-GEEK is the number that all of you can call. Uh, Geek, of course, John being? 4335. Thank you, sir. Uh, and so that's uh, that's yet another way to, to contact us. You can contact us from within the Mac Geek Cab app. Uh, and that has been working so well. It's so good to get the, these... They, they come in in a great, a great audio quality, but the files are really compact. We know what show you were listening to. If you happen to send feedback in the middle of a show, it's that's automatic. Uh, obviously, you'll see that. And, it, you know, nothing is nothing is sent without your permission or knowledge. But uh, but you, you can see what we see. But it's really, really handy. So uh, so you can use the app to contact us. How else can they contact us, John? Uh, well, there's always the Twitters, right? There so are on the on the Twitters, the show is Matt Geekab. I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. The other guy is Pilot Pete. And, of course, Mac Observer for general Mac news and information. How else? A Facebook. A Facebook. How about that? Facebook.com. Now with a billion users, right? That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah a, billion, a-, a billion active users. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, actually. That's billion. You know, yeah. Yeah. Only one billion, though. Not billions. Just one billion. Yeah, well, but McDonald's has dot- something up on them. Well, they stopped posting that. They just mm-hmm. say billions served or That's trillions right. or gazillions or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. The world has been served six times. I wonder. Actually, that would be really interesting is how many times over have they served the entire population of the world? If you if you look at it that way, that would be interesting. Yeah, but anyways, Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Skype, I don't know if we mentioned that. You can Skype to, you guessed it, MacGeekGab. That's right. And then there's there's, there's, uh, what you have heard us talking about, which if you're listening to this now, then you you missed it. (laughs) But you can go, uh, uh, which was a fun project for me to find a way for us to have a nice, uh, or well, it was a, a joint project between Dave and I. But it was a, how can we offer streaming audio and uh, interact uh, 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 almost live chat? It's off by a few nanoseconds, right? But MacGeekGab.com slash stream. 
is where you go before we start the show. And then you can listen to us or go in the chat room or even both if you can handle that. That's right. And and soon the iOS app will have that functionality, as I uh, as I mentioned before, including some other cool things that uh, that we're always adding. Um, all right, John. So uh, while we were going through that, I counted and I may be off by one. On, I may be uh, conservatively off by one on this. I believe we've delivered 18 questions and tips in this show. We may have we may have done more than that, that I didn't log on the agenda. Um, so with that. I want to hit 20. So, yeah, I know we're at the hour and a little 12 minute mark as I speak right now. But uh, but we're going to we're going to do uh, two more. So, number one, uh, and if you've got a cool stuff found, uh, you take I number do. two. OK, perfect. So uh, Howard actually pointed us to a pretty cool article that I think is a great primer for um, the uh, the terminal on Mac OS 10. It's an article. I think it was written a year or two ago. Uh, at Wiseheart Design called the Designer's Guide to the OS 10 Command Prompt. I think it's a great thing. I, you know, I use the terminal all day long. I'm in there constantly, but I even read through this and, and you know, was reminded of some things that, that I could do differently or do in a, you know, in a better way. Uh, but it's a fantastic uh, primer to the terminal. So, uh, so we will put that in the show notes. And of course, I'll put it in the chat room here too. But, um, but uh, but there you go. So that's that's tip number at least 19. And, and John, uh, you're going to bring us in with number 20. You're going to bring it home, my friend. Well, it's going to be CSF. Is that OK? That's what this was, too. Yeah, I called this a cool stuff found. That's oh. right. Yeah. So well, yes, actually, perfect. I'm going to give you not one, but two. Oh, bonus. So, well, the first one's easy. Well, the, the one was kind of a, a project that, that I undertook, which uh, I completed. So the first one here is, so some of you may have heard that I got a monoprice 802.11n uh, wireless access point, uh, which is also a router. Yep. Uh, only, only 100 base T, though, not, not gigabit, but, but it's serving my needs here. And, um, you know, I noticed that the, uh, the range was uh, some of the numbers that I got as far as signal strength and things like that weren't as good as the uh, time capsule. So I, I thought to myself, well, is there a way for me to to try to fix this? Because this has um, antennas which use uh, what I found is an industry standard called SMA. I think it's surface mount A. So it's just a certain type of plug that a lot of Wi-Fi equipment uses, including this. Well, hmm, you know, it comes with some uh, antennas that I've seen come with a lot of 2.4 gigahertz radios, and they're kind of small and stubby. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if somebody makes a better antenna. Well, the good folks at Monoprice, <laughs> they do. <laughs> so I ordered from them the Wi-Fi high gain omnidirectional RP dash SMA antenna, negative nine dBi. Uh, and it's big. It's a big antenna. It's actually so big that because this unit is so light, it kind of leans back a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because the antennas. <laughs> but it's basically an antenna that's uh, almost like a foot long. Um and I looked at various devices and basically I'm getting, so like on my TiVo, for example, which has 802.g, uh, before the signal strength was marginal. And okay. then when I added these antennas and then fiddled with them a bit, now it's up to good. Huh. So at least with one device. So these antennas, so uh, I don't see did, any Did you downside. test it more, more granularly with, with your Mac to like, you know, something like iStumbler or whatever uh, on your Mac to, to... I'm still working on that. Okay. But okay. as far as I can tell, I mean, the thing is that they were, you know, with a lot of monoprice stuff, I mean, that the, they're $4 each. Right. So, and I have two antenna ports. So why not? 
Yeah. So just something to try if you have an access point. Now, the other thing you gotta be careful of is make sure you get the right connector because I saw a lot of comments. People are like, oh, it didn't fit on mine because it has BNC connectors. It's like, well, yeah. Right. So make sure you get the right connector because radio equipment doesn't, uh, it doesn't all use this type of connector. I've seen a lot of things that do. Sure. Uh, like actually now in my, my, my new day gig, actually all of our radios that we offer that have uh, 2.4 gigahertz and they're not Wi-Fi. They're on the same frequency, but they use a different protocol. They use this same SMA connector. Okay. Um, but you could also see BNC or some other things. So just, just be careful sure. when you get a, a booster antenna, but one thing that should be inexpensive, it can certainly uh, give you better range. Now, the other, I don't know if it's cool stuff, but it was a little project that I did, and I just thought I'd tell you about it, Dave, is, so right now I really don't use my time capsule for time machine backups. Okay. Uh, and as most of you may know, a time capsule is like a airport extreme, except it has a hard drive in it that allows you to do, uh, it allows you to both share the hard drive and use it for time machine backups if you want to. Right. But I haven't really been using it for that because I got the Drobo FS and I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I can take the drive out of the time capsule and put it in the Drobo. <laughs> and I did. Cool. It works just fine. It's, it's a regular old uh, one, yeah. uh, one terabyte SATA drive uh, pulled a, a smaller drive out of the Drobo, let it rebuild because then it got all upset that a drive was missing. So let it rebuild. And then I put this new drive in and it had the capacity and actually the old drive, when I put it in the time capsule, it saw it because again, it's just the SATA drive. Now, the one thing you gotta be careful of, there is a temperature sensor inside of the time capsule, at least mine. It, it, it kind of, uh, you tape it onto the drive somewhere. I would say, make sure that you get that right because either the drive, uh, and I think it's connected to the fan. So there's a small fan in the time capsule. I, I think you and I weren't sure of that when it first came out, but there is a small fan. And I would say that it probably operates based on that temperature sensor. So make sure you get that right. So the drive doesn't toast the unit. Uh, but then it showed up actually in the hard drive section of the time capsule. It actually said two things. So one, it called it air disc by default it, okay. it, it, because it was a drive that makes sense. coming sure. out of the Drobo. It was a drive that it knew was a drive, but it didn't recognize it. So I think it just renamed it to whatever the Drobo names it, which I don't even know if the Drobo named it. And then it said, Oh, by the way, this drive's kind of screwed up. So you should probably format it. And, and it defaults to the name air disc. Uh, but yeah, so, so, uh, there's a take apart guide though. Uh, I don't think I actually needed one. I just pulled the seal off the bottom and unscrewed all the screws and it, it's pretty straightforward how, how to get around in there. Cool. And so I'm sorry, how big is the drive that you put in there? I put a 160 gig in there. Oh, which oh, was very, in very the Drobo. Small. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it was in the Drobo, but I figured, you know what? I, I, I'd rather put the one terabytes that I'm not really using anymore, put it in the Drobo. So now my Drobo's up to, uh, I think I got three twos and two ones in the Drobo. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. got eight. Uh, so eight base, and then yeah, it does its Drobo thing. But uh, cool. And that's the that's the FS, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, that certainly puts us over twenty, which may very well be a record for us. Um, I don't usually count because uh, it's usually not. Uh, Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm playing the outro, the total outro. How did I do that? I screwed that up, didn't I, John? Why don't we bring this one in while we're still chit-chatting here? See that? You got me off I see my that. game. I know. Uh, but, yeah, we don't usually count because it's not usually what we do. But uh, with all this stuff to go through today, it was uh, very interesting. We didn't get through everything. There were, I don't know, there's some cool stuff found we didn't go through. Um, and some questions from previous weeks that we'll never get to because that's just, you know, 
That's how it works. We have we, we queue up more than we need for each show. Um, and even of the stuff we queue up, we call out a ton. You know, we focus down on, on what we think is going to work well in the show. And then, of course, game time, time happens and we move things around. And then there's stuff that lingers and we think, oh, yeah, this will be great in a future show. And sometimes it makes it, but usually... It just doesn't because there's some new great new stuff that comes in and takes priority. And that's what we do here. So we love it. It's great to be back. I did uh, I did miss doing this last week. I, I didn't mention where I went because I didn't want uh, my wife's grandfather to know. Um, and I know that he had listened to the show at least once. I don't think he's a regular listener, uh, but I didn't want to mention it here. We... Surprised him for his 93rd birthday and uh, met him on board a uh, Norwegian cruise ship for a quick weekend cruise. But uh, but it was really just more of a family reunion birthday thing. And he loved it. He was totally surprised, totally overwhelmed in a good way. Um, and uh, and it worked out great. We had a we had a really nice time. We bounced over to the Bahamas and, and came back and. It was sort of crazy traveling because, you know, we basically left home on Friday and traveled until we got home on Monday, but uh, totally worth it. And uh, we had some nice time, too, uh, you know, uh, on our own, but it was great having four generations at the dinner table every night and all the family together and just chilling out and hanging out. So, but I did miss doing the show. Yeah, it's good. Cruises are fun. We have, we have found them to be quite enjoyable trips for our family, so... Uh, trying to think. We went through the contact information, John. We want to. Oh, well, we want to make sure we thank Michael Johnston, um, formerly of uh, the iPhone Alley. He was the founder of iPhone Alley. He does do the We Have Communicators podcast now, and in the future, he'll be of something new and cool. Uh, but all through that, before, during, and uh, and now, currently, he uh, converts our show to AAC for you and adds all those cool chapters which you can see in the app uh, and you can interact with and in fact the app when I said before it'll tag and tell us where you were in the show if you were listening to a, a chapter I show it will actually uh, tag it with the name of the chapter which makes it really easy for us uh, so thank you Michael Cashfly of course we want to thank too cashfly.com for all the bandwidth that they provide to us and uh, to you for getting at least half of it getting it to you Anything to add here, John? Before we uh, before we play the uh, the outro at the right time, I've added all I can add. All right, cool. Well, I can't uh, add anymore. I can't, can't add no more. I believe next week we're back at normal time. Today I had to move for some family thing, and now family's driving me crazy. Anyway, extended family. So, but anyway, it's all good. Uh, but I think we'll be back in in the evening on on Sunday. So with that, the podcast marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, PDF Pen, PDF Pen for the iPhone from Smile, of course, and Gazelle all through Backbeat Media. Check out the app. We'd really appreciate that, too. We'll have news on premium next week. I can safely guarantee that now. That's it. John, do you have one last bit of advice to, to share with? I know we've shared a lot of advice during this episode, but do you have one last bit to share? <laughs> the only bit I can share is please don't get 